We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. My name is Aram. My name is Dylan. We can't tell you our last names, or even what city we are in. If we did, they could find us. And that would be the end of this show. We're sending this message so that more people can learn the truth. Maybe then, somehow, the human race can survive until the Andalites return and rescue us. Until then, we will be discussing each book in the Animorph series as I read them for the first time. And I'll be guiding this journey as I reconnect with stories I read a long time ago. Welcome to Podspeak. Or, more accurate title would be The Slow Torturous Death of, comma, The Captive. Okay, debatable, because I'm not sure that the person you're thinking of is in fact the captive. It can go both ways. I do see what you're saying. You could definitely say that goes both ways. It's a very good name. There are some of these, like, we talked about the Predator. You know, several people have talked about, you know... When Marco's mom shows up at the end of the last book, she's got a little bit of shark to her. Yeah. Like, yeah, sure. But she also wasn't hunting them. She wasn't present in the book in any way. There was no predator in that book. It was clear it meant to be them, but there was no real action. This, this was a good title. This is the best book so far. Throughout the entire one, I was like, oh, holy shit, what's going to happen next? Uh, We start off with Aram's complaint corner. Jake decides he's going to practice a roach morph. I was so pissed. However, you have to admit they're moving in the right direction. It wasn't an action situation. He waited until everyone was leaving his house. He was practicing it alone in his room and there were miscalculations, but it was a major improvement over previous behavior. Look, Jake's just dumb. I think we have to accept the fact that Jake's a little bit dumb. He's a great leader. People like him and those are good factors. He's a little bit dumber than some of the other ones, which gets underlined. His first morph was a golden retriever. Yes, did he do it in his room? But he almost got stepped on almost immediately, if you remember. Like someone came to his room and tried to stomp on him. Again, I'm giving him a little bit of leeway because it was his dad was supposed to be out and his dad like hurt his arm or something and came home early. And that's how he almost got stepped on. You don't morph the first time alone. This should have been underlined by now. He was super dumb. However, however, I'll allow it. I'll allow it because it was a great psych out for how smart the kids are in this book. It was a perfect setup to show how smart they actually are. So it was Cassie who one time morphed alone. However, in all of these circumstances, 
The major problem has not been that they were doing it alone. It was that they were going directly into action in a new morph. No, 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 no. No, my problem is they're not, they're not, look, just like with the ants, something could go wrong and you need someone to call you out. You need someone to be there to thought speak into your head and bail you out. That's the problem I have. And they knew that. He knew this and he did it. He even, as he's talking, he's like, oh, I screwed up like I did with the ants again. Like he, he knew, he knew. It's so frustrating. Okay. Cause the way I've been reading this problem has been legitimately, they're not trying the morphs ahead of time. That too. So to me, this is a major step forward in that he is trying the morph before bringing it into and now it's just realizing like oh man okay we can try the morphs but also we need to try the morphs in a situation you know, we need rave dad yes you can't just drop whatever you want and go to a party you need someone sober to play rave dad they do they need a rave dad they, they, they just need to work in pairs at all times especially when they're in forms they don't understand cassie maybe gets a pass because cassie's so good at morphing, but the rest of them really need to work in pairs. Cassie will get a pass because she's the best at morphing, but at the same time, when they only have like, we're still in the like count on one hand how many morphs you have. Right. By the end of this, they're going to be a fucking zoo. Right. They are in no means pros. However, in this one, they do mention that Cassie's actually a better morpher than Axe already, which I guess. Axe is like supposed to be a little younger than they are. Like if they're 14, 15, he's like 12, 13. So maybe that explains yeah, it. Hard to say because he's also an alien. Right. Our year's the same. Yeah. Combined with the fact that everything that gets mentioned by anim by non-humans in this book referring to animals, I think K. Applegate is basically setting up that Earth is weirdly biologically diverse. Because specifically the Yerk the Yerk planet specifically was like there are there's a character later in the book we're doing such a bad job of summarizing this fair we are we should probably start from the beginning we'll we'll get there but like there's a character there who mentions that there are a hundred or so species on the Yerk 500, planet I think total it was, right five hundred no, was less than that he said it was just there are like there are something in the range of a hundred he just doesn't I don't think he gave a specific number uh, and then he was like, how many species do you have here? Millions. Why does a planet need a million species? Yeah, I, I thought that was really interesting. I'm not sure about the viability of having that few species and having it actually yeah. function, but I do like the idea. Depends on how big your species get, because like you could have 100 species if the entire biome is bacterial. Right. If it's just 500 bacteria. But if you got some big shit, they need a bunch of smaller stuff to make them work. Almost by the very nature. If you have to evolve out of unicellular into multicellular creatures, you're going to hit a couple hundred distinct branches before you manage to get out of the sort of pile of yeast stage of biological diversity. Yeah. So that I, I have questions about. The other thing I have questions about is that the every time a book like this introduces aliens, they have to introduce something that makes humans unique. And in this book, what makes humans unique is that even when we know there's no chance whatsoever, we will still fight. And apparently that's not common in other creatures. And I don't know about that. I don't think that's true, because when we get that, we get it from Jake's perspective. It's Jake analyzing things. And the only people he's interacted with are the Yerks and the Andalites, both of whom are expansionists, 
kind of colonialist, like military species where you can imagine that structure. When Jake says that the Yurk's like, you'd be a fool to fight when there's no chance of victory. Like the Yurk was really pissed Jake even had that thought, which seemed odd to me. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying is the species that seem to hold that sentiment are like you see it a little bit in Axe, who's a little bit more prone to just military strategy and just going, well, well, the battle is lost. Like that's of course. And the Yurks. I can tell you that the when you actually start getting to meet the Hork Bajir as opposed to like seeing them when they get their when you meet a few that actually have their brains. Right. Uh, They'll fight to any uh, to the end. Yeah. Okay. They're good. So it's it, it isn't a uniquely human thing. It's Jake is still highly anthropocentric in all of his worldviews because he's met two species of aliens and one of them is slugs. They finally explained the whole because I've been waiting for that. How they talk about how the brain gets real flat, how the a slug basically flattens it, itself out and fills. All the crevices. You told me that like book one. I've been waiting for them to finally describe that. Shall we go into the actual plot of it? Yes, absolutely. Jake fucks up his cockroach morph. We've established that quite thoroughly. And then we do a hard cut from him getting stuck in a roach motel to him standing in Cassie's bar and having to explain how like, yeah, it was a bad call. I had to just like bail out of the morph from under the fridge. I liked that. I liked that quite a lot. Just get it like we've got the idea. Let's move on. They figured out that the Yurks have effectively taken over a hospital, which is bad enough to begin with. It's been uh, Tom has been making a bunch of calls. And uh, Jake has just been going back to the phone after Tom makes calls and hitting redial and like cross-referencing the number to the phone book. Star 69. That's what he was doing. Which is going to show up on his parents' bill. It's going to be like 75 cents, 75 cents over and over. You never know. It's the mid-90s. They might have like... I do know. I know exactly how it worked. It worked. You dialed star 69... And it cost you money. I'm just saying I wasn't sure on the timeline if we had, like, phones with redial yet. Sure. In, like, 96. Jake has been calling a bunch of doctors, including, you know, one that's working at specifically this new hospital. And they figured out that basically the Yurks have been infesting nurses and doctors and just taken over this entire hospital. So they are using the cockroach morphs specifically to sneak into this hospital and try to figure out what the fuck is going on. I don't think anything particularly relevant or interesting happens until they actually go into the hospital. They spend some time in morph practicing using roach hearing to decode human speech, which was not a trivial task. And I appreciate that they took the time to learn it. That was great. It was so smart of them to do that. That's when I was like, okay, kids, you're learning. You're getting there. You're getting there. You're getting there. I was really proud of them. So they go in. uh, Visser 3 shows up in human morph. So now we're going to get way more Visser 3 business because he can show up in more scenes. The audiobook 
I am listening to. The dude does. Can I take a wild guess? <laughs> Go ahead. Is it standard villain voice? No. Is it hello? No, it's no. It's the best. He's like, hey, I'm Visser. Like he's the biggest dick. What the like fuck? he's this thick-headed. Like yeah, yeah, I'm Visser three. It's the perfect choice. You know that makes me so happy. I wouldn't have gone for it, but I can't knock it. <laughs> It surprises me, but it's a, it's a fair call. It's just some thick-headed thug that shouldn't be in the role, which is exactly how I see the guy. Which is exactly what Visser 3 yeah. is. <laughs> anyway, they find out that the whole plan, the whole plan, what it is, and then they find out that uh, they have a major person coming in for a surgery. They're going to use this as a way to just convert people. The governor, who is probably going to be the next president. Yes. It's a good plan. It's a good plan uh, and points to Marco for having figured it out. Marco was vital again this whole episode. He didn't show up that much like straight in action, but it would be things like, you know, there's reference. How did they get set on the idea that it was the governor? It wasn't Marco. It wasn't Marco. It was either Casey or it was one of them because like, don't you guys listen to politics? No, but Marco was the one who confirmed it because he just went in, called the governor's office, claimed to be a reporter, got the itinerary and was like, hey, we need to get this fucking shit ruined by Tuesday because that's when the governor's getting his surgery. On Tuesday, the governor goes on a five day vacation. He just filled in the holes. He really did his proper journalistic dues there. It was impressive, but not a trivial jump. And it, it wasn't just that with him. It was the fact that later on. He counters every friggin' move that guy makes. Yep, we'll get to it. Marco figures it out, dead set that it's hemorrhoids. Refuses to accept the idea that the governor's surgery is anything but hemorrhoids because it hasn't been in the news. And he's like, no, no, no. If he was sick, they'd know what it was. This is something embarrassing. You know what? I'll give him a 50-50 shot that he's right. You know Letterman's entire monologue would be the governor's hemorrhoids. (laughs) All right, Marco. Fucking... Not unreasonable, but also, also Letterman's relevant. We're honing down the exact time this is even more. And we more. know when this is. <laughs> no, but we'll probably get to like a you one don't month have window. to do forensics. No, I'm telling you, we can get this like a one month window. How long do you think this entire series like takes place over? That's because we point. know it's at least a year. You can't hone it down to one month. It doesn't take place in a month. Fair. So they figure all this out and they're like, okay, we have to trash it. Everybody's very sketched out because they're like, oh, no, what if, you know, what if we have to kill Tom? Right, because Tom has been like rising in the rank and he's been involved somehow with the hospital because he's been calling a lot of doctors. And we get a little bit more confirmation of that because when they abandon ship on the uh, cockroach plan, because someone mentions, hey, there's a couple of bugs around here. And someone goes like, oh, yeah, those are cockroaches. They're all over this fucking planet. Visser 3 immediately just goes like it happened once and he has he learned immediately. He's like, do you think there is a limit to how small the Andalites can get? Kill the bugs now. And we have a big action sequence of (laughs) large crowd of people trying to step on five cockroaches just feet and bug spray those are the two big villains Mm -hmm. in the first act (laughs) and the bug spray thing is freaky because jake gets hit with it 
and like it starts to paralyze his body and fuck with his head so it's hard for him to turn back and he almost doesn't make it. It's like like he almost dies every time, but this time was pretty close. He barely made it out. Like uh he started morphing back and Tobias basically had gotten his semi-unconscious body onto the roof of a Boston market and then Jake shifts back and as he's shifting back he is falling unconscious. He's yeah. in the process of dying. Skin of your teeth sort of thing. Tobias has routinely saved their ass over and oh, over. Oh, yeah. Tobias is the most useful fucking person also, in the book. probably be like if to- that hadn't happened to Tobias, I doubt they would constantly leave a scout outside. They'd all just oh, run yeah. in as cockroaches and they all would no. have been killed day one. Or they all would have been fish and they all would have been killed. They need him out there to bail them out. It's very important strategically and they're not clever so they had to have something that forced the strategy they're clever this book though they just needed time to learn uh they basically come back on a war path they break in as house flies because everybody's like well they notice the cockroaches the cockroaches are too big we're going to turn into flies instead those will be easy to get through they sneak into the back rooms of the hospital and one of the first things they find is a hot tub and Jake commits his first uh, war crime. Well, first they're like, well, it's there for therapy. Like Kay Applegate explains everything, which I love. And she's like, nope, there has to be a reason. And it's here because of sports therapy. Yeah, it's here because of sports therapy. And then they lift the top of the hot tub and they find out that it's no, this is a tiny yerk pool. And Axe is going like, oh, that means there must be a Candronosaur somewhere. We should just destroy that. And we're good. And Jake's like, Mm. takes a look notices it's not plugged in the jets aren't going the heat isn't on he's like give me like three minutes and he wires it back up plugs it in and roasts an entire pool of this is like 200 of them 200 sentient creatures he said basically the way they wrote it was uh the yurks had torn out the actual like controls so Jake just turned everything back on at full current. It was on max settings. If you, a human being, sat in a 120 degree Fahrenheit hot tub for too long, you would die. Certainly with the lid shut over you. If you're a fully submerged slug, you die quickly. Yeah. Not to mention the fact that depending on how big these slugs are, if the jets are on, they're going to go through the pumps. Oh, that's unfortunate. There are some ugly, ugly deaths implied in turning on that hot tub, which is a sentence I did not ever think I would say. No, no, they went badly. Like, that was a bad way for them all to die. Yeah, It's not that they didn't have it coming, but at the same point, they were helpless. If you'd thought for maybe an extra couple minutes, Jake, you could have found a way to kill them quicker and less painful. But Jake doesn't seem to care. We'll cut some slack because the Yerks, as much as they are very obviously sentient, are still slugs. And like, it's very hard to draw the direct connection between a Yerk, the actual being, and a Yerk, the body, given that every time they interact with a Yerk in any capacity, it's in a host. It looks like a air quotes person at that point, whereas when it's this vat of... It's sort of like, you know, if you were to look at a vat of brains, 
you know? It'd be pretty abstract. Like dissociated from the bodies, like even if hypothetically, you know, they're all on life support or it's a rack of shelves with brains in jars. You could flick it off pretty easily and not think about yeah, it. Yeah, not, it's not real. And also, again, like these are things where you and I have grown up over time periods where there were major wars and like we're adults. We think of, sometimes we think about how, you know, existence goes, how personhood works. He's like 14, 15. He saw a pool full of slugs and was like, well, I should turn that on. It'll kill him. He stepped on bugs. And also, if he had any reservations at all before, he sure as fuck won't any, won't, won't after this experiment. Yeah, he is. Yeah, they made a enemy out of this. He got that pool turned on, and almost immediately, they're found out. Right, because of course an alarm would go off. Yeah, so they have axe fighting controllers. One guy comes in with a gun. Nobody actually gets shot. Jake gets clipped by a ricochet. That's getting shot. Reagan got shot with a ricochet. App Kay Applegate shot a kid in book six. I, I agree with you, okay. but when you say someone got shot, you imagine like a very deadly, the bullet went into you. He got hit by the ricochet. It in knocked him unconscious. Head. Yes. Don't care. I a ricochet is very deadly in the face, Dylan. I'm not disagreeing with you, okay. but if I say and then John and then Jake got shot in the head, you'd think he was dead. Then all of the listeners are gonna go, "Oh fuck! Did he get murdered? No, he got clipped by a ricochet and it knocked him out. He got the shot assumption by when a you hear ricochet. Got shot by a ricochet. He got ricochet." That's what happened to him. A bullet hit the boy and knocked him out. Are you satisfied with that? Yes, thank you. Fucking Christ. So the ricochet interacted with Jake <laughs> through a verb that is apparently contentious. And he falls, hits his head on the edge of the hot tub, gets knocked out, and falls face first into the water. And every adult reading... I did not think about this. Oh, never mind. Nope, nope. He fell face first into the water, and I was like, oh, man, they got to get him out of there. And didn't think another thought about it. I didn't think about it when they pull him out, and they're flying him out, and he's hearing it. I'm like, oh, man, Jake... Jake's head must be messed up or maybe the fluid screwed with them. And, and like, Oh no, he's nope. letting his guard down. Someone's got in his, you know, in his head and he can't do anything about it. Cause he's got a concussion and like I'm three pages in and I'm like, Oh fuck. No. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. Jake put his head into a yerk pool. Yeah. One yerk did not get boiled alive because it escaped into Jake's brain. One smart yerk. By narrative convenience, it's also the yerk that used to be in Tom's head, uh, but then it got promoted because of the good, good work it did setting up the hospital and they were going to put him into the governor. Initially, I thought that was coincidence and like narrative convenience, but hear me out. Mm -hmm. The reason that yerk was able to get into Jake's head is because it all happened so fast, but that yerk was like, something familiar and safe. And only that Yurk could have done that because Jake was so like his brother. So I think I, it's possible mm. that that just happened because of the familiarity. So I disagree with that. Okay. Because at that point, no Yurk has made contact with anything that would indicate who it is, right? Like it's, it's the face in the water. 
the slug doesn't see it and go, I know that face. The yerk hasn't touched the brain. No, the no, they wouldn't see it, but they but maybe this slug knows Jake's scent or Jake's taste or or the vibrations of Jake's mind. I mean, it could be any of that. I think it's more simple than that. This is a yerk that has worked its way up the ranks and is like It's a clever yerk. This is a clever yerk. It's a resourceful yerk. A face hit the water and its immediate thought was I am boiling a way yeah. out and it's just the cleverest, you know, soldier yerk. That yerk did whatever the slug equivalent is of stepping on three people to get to yeah. Jake's brain. And is there anything more yerky to do? No, not at all. So yeah, we get out, we hit the end of the second, third or so of the book, and basically we're left to assume that this resolves the hospital plot in some capacity, in that they've just murdered a bunch of yerks. But they, they murdered 200 people, and clearly they know about it now, so it's not as useful. Yeah, so we the plan will probably be scuttled. However, they get back. There's basically a short period where we have the Yerk having a conversation with Jake and Jake realizing how boned he is. Right. Followed by Cassie trying to ask him questions because he's clearly regained consciousness and he's acting weird. Right. But for a while, Jake is fully convinced that this Yerk has fooled all of his friends and everything's screwed and it's all going to be because of him. And the way that they figure... I'm. I like this. Mm -hmm. It isn't a psychic thing. It isn't like the Yurk is suddenly flushed with Jake's memories. They they at some point make the analogy to like, it's like flipping through a book. Right. The Yurk is actually investigating. Actually, you know what? It's a, it's a Wikipedia deep dive. Right. It's clicking on the blue words, just going through all the articles going like, okay, so that's what we're dealing with. All right. That's cool. They're having the conversation of like, interesting mm -hmm. it's a human mm -hmm. and cassie human mark human animorphs you're all humans yeah. what and you have accidentally is garuth is so and and all it is is that he didn't click that blue link <laughs> he just ran through like four tabs of like ah, a human a human a human good got it they're all humans cool and the thing that fucks the yerk is that he's doing a great job of being Jake and then he turns around and Axe is there and Axe sees Jake get surprised and immediately knife to the throat just like nope that's not him that is absolutely not him Jake's face was in that pool I saw that split second in his eyes that is absolutely not Jake and I was like wait a minute he's like I'm telling you that's not Jake and then gets the rest of them because there's this great line. I think Cassie says it where like, look, Jake, if it really was you and we were putting you through this at some point, you'd stop fighting us and help us because you would know it would be the best thing for us. And you're still fighting us. So we know it's not you. And I, I just thought that was excellent. That was excellent. However, it f came after the boot drop of, you know, Axe threatens them. They have this argument. They're arguing back and forth. And then someone just goes like, all right, look, what we're going to do is like three days and these things starve. So we're going to keep him. There is a shack that Tobias has seen in the middle of the woods. We'll tie him up. We'll basically give him a Yerk detox. And in the meantime, Axe is going to morph Jake 
and pretend to be Jake yep. and it'll be fine. Which is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Axe just goes, all right, Prince Jake, I will acquire your DNA now. Reaches out and touches Jake's head and Jake's immediate response is, get your hands off of me, Andalite scum. Yeah. Yep. And I'm like, yeah, no, don't get me wrong, Cassie. That is a very clean bit of logic. I, I respect it. I understand where you're coming from. But also, he did just flip out and call uh, Axe Andalite scum. Yeah. And like, there's a moment where he's just like, I'm sorry, I'm just stressed out. It's like, been a come bit on, dude. And everybody's like, come on, man. Yeah, Jake no wouldn't way. say that stressed out. Yeah. This is like, you're dropping racial slurs and your excuses. Like, it's been a hard day. So I had to call him the end. No, yeah, no one bought that whatsoever. Marco especially was like, no, bullshit. Absolute bullshit. In the same sort of vein as the people trying to use that defense in real life where it's like, oh, yeah, no, it just slipped mm -hmm. out because it was one of those. The only time things like that slip out is if you say them reflexively. Right, you let your guard down you, and therefore yeah. something escaped. You didn't. It didn't get invented because you were under stress. Aram, aside from playing RPGs, aside from playing characters in fantasy land, have you ever actually really used the word scum except for like describing like, I left the, I left the dishes sitting in the sink overnight and now there's a scum on it? I mean, it? maybe like when I went to that pirate themed thing in Vegas. Otherwise, that no, I've never turned to yeah. anyone and actually referred to them as scum. You just don't do that. If I turned to you and was like, Aram, you Armenian scum. I'd be hurt. You would be hurt, but I think before you got to the racist part, you would be like, really? Really? Yeah. That's that's what you're... Okay, right. I mean, but also, please don't do racist, you strange man. Yeah, I would assume it was a bit right off the bat. I couldn't possibly yeah. take you seriously. Right. That, that's where I'm like, this is this is a double whammy of Jake is not calling him Andalite scum and no human is turning around and calling someone an ex scum. No, this guy blew it. He blew it right away. It was over. The game was over. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. They tie him up, and we go through uh, a horrible detox. <sighs> this is well, first. Dark. First we go through the escape attempts. Right, which they all which planned is, for brilliantly. You love this, please, so by all means. Okay, so... First of all, they psych the dude out by Casey pretending to sleep just to see Rachel. what, sorry, with Rachel pretending to sleep just to see what the guy will do. Of course, he turns into a wolf, makes a run for it, but it wasn't just enough that they were watching him. They also put him in the same place with that other wolf pack. So knowing that if he, if he got yeah. past them, he'd run into the other wolves. Maybe he could turn into a bird. Sure. But. Where are you going to fly, dude? It's nighttime and your eyes aren't that good and you don't have an owl form. You could turn into a bug. How far are you going to get? Like, like they were taunting this guy in the end yeah. with how well they had boxed him in. He turned into a bird and tried to get a, he turned into a tiger to get out. And then he realized he was getting surrounded. So he turned into a falcon to try to get away. He turned into the falcon and immediately Cassie is in the woods as an owl and just fucks this falcon up because it's the middle of the night. 
He tries to do it a second time during the day and Tobias tackles him to the ground and he's just like, no, you can't do anything. You you can't kill me. And Tobias just goes, yeah, I can. Yeah, Tobias meant it. One of the first things we said was it is better to be dead than a controller. Mm -hmm. I'll do this. And even then, I don't have to. You turn into a falcon, I will tear your eyes out. Yeah. Falcons without eyes can't fly far. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? He's right, too, because he's got a unique view of what it's like to be half not a person. So yeah. the hell of not being, like, he knows this is hell. He, he will end them bit. to stop it. Yeah. Combined with the fact that, like, we also had a bit earlier in the book where, like, this is another thing where I give Applegate credit is, like, Tobias wasn't hugely involved in this book aside from, you know, the occasional scouting just shouts into the building. The only major line he gets is at some point they reference him killing mice and his response is just, what of it? Right. Of course I kill mice. Yeah, I'll slaughter them left and right. Like, whatever. Like, don't knock until you tried it. They're good. <laughs> right. He's fully accepted kind of being a hawk at this point. And Jake references, like, yeah, Tobias has a kind of weird perspective because he started to get used to the fact that he lives this sort of half-person, half-bird existence. Yep. And then we get Tobias later, and he shows up and just like, no, 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 they, they probably wouldn't kill you because, you know, people. I do a lot of killing in my day-to-day. -day. Yeah, I'm kind of used to it now. This is less of a thing for You're me. You're just one more thing to kill, pal. Yeah. yeah. It's a very good scene. This arc starts, right, with Jake being, oh my God, I've given up. I'm so, like, like, he had given up until he was shown a little ray of light, a little bit of hope. But then it starts getting really dark because as the Yerk mm -hmm. starts to starve, the Yerk starts to do more things. And it starts to leak. It starts to leak. But then also it starts to do shit like, hey, I can connect you to your brother's thoughts. I can put you exactly in the position of your brother and show you what he was thinking. So that when like he's seeing the perspective of like every time his brother came to ask him about joining the sharing, his real brother was in there crying, begging and pleading, don't yep. do this to my brother. It was devastating and doing all this just because he's so desperate because he's starving to death trapped inside of jake and then at the end it's basically like the the animorphs obviously win this because they're just playing goalie halfway through you're still worried but towards the end it's inevitable and it's just a slow death and the life flashes before his eyes except when his life flashes before his eyes it's all of him they get the Yerk's existence and then the joy when he gets his first uh, controller body. And then it just so happens that he's absorbed all the memories from that Ged that he was controlling. Ged being a weird little monkey creature that lives on the Yerk home planet. And so all of those memories start cascading into Jake. He remembers the Hork Bezier that was taken during the war on that planet. And then he gets all of Tom's memories. Yeah. And he gets the whole thing of we get confirmation that Tom also is not a willing controller. This isn't the Chapmans. This was no negotiation. This wasn't, you know, Mrs. Chapman who straight up just surrendered. It was just so fucking depressed 50s housewives that she was like, yeah, you know, this seems at least as fun as popping Valium. No, he was taken. He joined the sharing, 
because the girl he had a crush on joined the sharing oh, and he was like, so I'll hang sad. out with a girl. He just wanted to impress this girl. He thought she was like, maybe gonna start dating this other guy. So she fo he follows her into a back room that turns out to be a meeting with Visser 3 and Andalite Morph. And Visser's just like, nope, put a slug in his head. Take him. And that's it. He went down kicking and screaming. Yeah. Yeah. And then just was destroyed by him. Just utterly destroyed because there was no one to help him and no way out. So that slug slowly dies. And then, because none of this was sufficiently horrific, as the Yerk dies, there's the point where all the memories flash through and Jake basically just gets this whole life flashes before your eyes thing just dumped into his brain. The Yerk goes quiet. Jake goes back in control of his body. He opens his eyes by his own will. And then the Yerk tells him, you win, human. The Yerk shuddered. I could feel it, a physical spasm. My vision changed. I felt, it's hard to describe. It felt as if I were seeing through things, into things. Like I could see the front and back and top and bottom and inside of everything all at once. And then I saw it, a creature or a machine or some combination of both. It had no arms. It sat still as if, as if unable to move on a throne that was miles high. Its head had a single eye. The eye turned slowly, left, right. I trembled. I prayed it would not look my way. And then it saw me. The eye, the blood red eye looked straight at me. It saw me. It saw me. No, no, I cried in silent terror. I could not look away. And when I opened my eyes again, all I saw was a weird glow. Glow faded little by little. I was trembling. It's over, Jake, Cassie said. And that's it. And then the Yerk basically just falls out of his head and dies and shrivels up and everybody's like okay and we won't address that at all the eye of sauron whatever the equivalent is that they have saw jake that can't be good just the simplest explanation of it is like you know the light at the end of the tunnel that yerk died and went into its afterlife and jake just saw satan is that what that was was that yerk satan that's is that who that's supposed to be that's satan that's Satan. That That's is intergalactic Satan. Intergalactic Satan is in command of the Yerks. Okay, okay. It's something to do with the Yerks. Right, gotcha. But basically, like, it is, like, it is Satan. That Yerk died and went to hell. And it's basically that last little vestige of the connection is the Yerk starts being in hell. Jake sees. Right. And, well, more importantly, it sees him. Yeah, which is also not stellar. No, not just on a long list of things you could pick observed by the devil, not at the top. Yeah. And also like, you know, what it is like one of those like, you know, Cthulhu things where you don't want to know for sure there is a hell and a devil. That is an unfortunate thing to be burdened with. If you're dealing with like a Christian perspective and you're like, oh, yeah, the devil is out there and here's the Bible. Follow the rules. You won't go to hell. That is reasonable ish. But you have a very clean picture of what the devil is. He's a very, like a terminally attractive man with wings. And that's what Satan is. So hot that sometimes the church 
like hire someone to make a painting and they're like, no, we can't use that. It's too sexy. Please make a new one. And then the next guy makes a hotter one. There was that one statue where the guy made it. It was too hot. And his brother steps in and made an even hotter one. Yeah. For uh, any listeners who didn't know, that wasn't me making up a joke. That was a historical story. In fact, I will put pictures of it in the episode description. Both statues are unbelievably hot, but the second one is more... The second one is clearly trying to be sexy. So, like, we have a clear image of what Satan is supposed to be, and that's helpful. Because if I were to ever see that, I would be like, oh, fuck. Well, I guess the Catholics were right. Better go check what the Pope says. But if it's giant bloody eyeball. Yeah, it's not even a giant eyeball. It's a man machine. Right. On a throne with no arms or legs, a head with a single blood red eye. And you see that and you're like, okay, so hell is real and it's not the ones we thought it was. Right. So I don't even know how to avoid this. It might be over there and it knows where I am. Very unpleasant. And then we completely gloss over that. Jake goes back to his normal day-to-day life. We get the fallout of Axe having taken over his life for three days. And Axe is right. People see what they want to see. Which is just his entire family going, what the fuck was wrong with you? He just thought he was really hungry for like three days. And also kept with the mouth shit. Like that didn't clue him in. You came home and you ate six pieces of chicken. And a pie. And an entire pie. Not you had some pie. You ate the pie. That was for us. That was meant for all of us, Jake. Also, you kept calling them potatoes and then going toes, potatoes. I was really thinking that maybe you were having a stroke. And then got emotionally devastating when there's yeah. this little beat at the end where Jake picks up a phone. And he's like, and everyone told me not to, but I had to. And he picks up a phone and he changes his voice and he calls his brother and he says, I know you're in there. Don't stop fighting. And then hangs up. And I was like, oh, I just broke me. Here's the thing, though. Here's the one complaint. Now, it's not a complaint. It's not a complaint. However, complaint, criticism. This is the thing that you want to bitch. This about. is no, 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 neither. Neither. This is nothing. This is just something I wanted that wasn't there. That if, okay. if, if it had been there would have made for such a better moment. There's a point where Jake realizes the Yurk can just go in and pull out whatever they want. Mm-hmm. So the Yurk's like, what if I saw into your fantasies? And there's like this fear in Jake, right? And the Yurk pulls out this bullshit about like him yeah. wanting to be good at, you want to be the at star basketball, athlete, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Who cares? If the Yurk had gone in and pulled out a fantasy of his bisexual love for Marco, that would have been like, if like, if every point to this point, yeah, where, yeah, every yeah. point applicates always like making sure that Marco has something to say whenever it's slightly gay, but usually Jake doesn't. And it would have been amazing if this whole time Jake had been quiet because of that and the Yurk pulls it out and that's the weapon it wants to use against Jake. That would have been amazing. Sure. But also. I think that if you were to retell this story, if you were to do it in sort of a modern thing that. It would be cool to make at least one of the kids queer in some way or another. And like you can really lean into sort of the trans allegory with Tobias. Totally. But at the same time, like as it currently stands in, in the fiction that we're presently reading, they've spent so much time building up this weird little like doe eyed thing with Jake and Cassie 
where like because they're both teenagers and because they're both kind of sweet kids i guess it's like you're not going to get like them directly that is that little romantic struggle adding in this weird fucking third prong of he also secretly wants to fuck his best friend not to mention the fact that this is written in the 90s you know that if that's the thing it pulls out they wouldn't it, have gotten away with it i'm not even saying getting away with it i'm saying if that was the beat it's going to immediately get either bi or homophobic or probably both because it would have been the thing to be held against him not the you're secretly in love with your best friend part, but ha ha ha, you want to touch a boy. Yeah, I know. I know. But still, So like I get where you're coming from, but also I'm very grateful they didn't do that. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Like it could have been a better secret, though. I mean, anything would have been a better secret than I wanted to be the football star or whatever. What would have been a more interesting thing would have just been that, like they mentioned it a couple of times. They They always play up like. Cassie is so sweet or like the one time where Cassie like after he's done this cockroach morph and done his little confession Cassie gets up in his face is like I don't I know that you're apparently our leader you're never fucking doing that again do you hear me Tobias is beaming into his head like this is the part where you say yes ma'am <laughs> Tobias is good instinct <laughs> yeah uh so like we have all of that, like we talk about how sweet she is. We talk about how like, you know, Rachel is Xena warrior princess. Another fun. It dates it for a ROM reference, despite the fact that we have said several times that it's just set when it's written. It's in like 94, 95. You don't have to do this forensic work. Also, I found out that it gets harder because apparently in the books, they've changed the store names more than once. So in different times the books were released the store names are different so it's hard to really pin it down unless we go to the originals and who knows what that is because i'm listening to audio books so there's really no way well, it's to know. still like you can't get down to any precision but like i don't know they could reference like a certain johnny carson bit <laughs> you know but at the same time they wouldn't because that would require the writer to reference that and then the editors to just be like why would you do something this right. specific yeah like it's weird. Uh, the only thing we have that really lodges it in time is that the kids don't have cell phones and they had to borrow. They stole Cassie's dad's cell phone to make the call to Tom at the end, which means that for a random vet to have a cell phone is like a thing. But also it hasn't trickled down to the kids yet. So right. we haven't hit the 2000s yet because by like or most of the adults. 2005 or so. Right. Like this is a specific reason. Like I like sure a vet would have a cell phone. They're always out on farms doing vet calls, blah, blah, blah. That makes sense. But the average adult does not have a cell phone. So we've broken through. We're past the 80s uh, and we haven't hit the 2000s. You know what? No one ever does. No one ever does. They always forget. Like it always goes from like landline to cell phone. We never do the beeper period when everyone no, had a beeper. Beepers are narratively stupid. Beepers are not narratively stupid. Beepers are actually narratively clever. There's ways to pass very limited messages to them that could be interesting. There's a whole way to do beepers that could be cool. I'm sure there is. But the trouble is, especially nowadays, teaching that to your audience. That's the problem. That is the exact problem. No one knows what a beeper is. It's not in the zeitgeist. 
I never actually had a beeper, so you're going to have to correct me if okay. I'm wrong on my interpretation from like just context here. It's basically just if you had a cell phone that was explicitly just for shitty texting. Yeah. No, no, it's worse. If I call your beeper lock, you would get like you would set up like a message like, hey, this is a ROMS beeper. Press one and then dial in the number you're calling from. So and then it would go beep beep and it would be like like like, like some of them you could maybe dial in like okay like George but no but mostly it was just this is a number call it back. So there's the other major reason not to do it is you're going to call this and yeah you're 100% right you could do something with like numerical codes there for like message passing. But at that point to not have to explain to the audience like Okay, and then we use this numerical code and I knew that this meant or this is what the message said. If you're at the point where you're just like, I received the message, I looked at it and it said and you're translating directly from, you know, whatever the character sees to the meaning the character interprets. Why is that not a text message? No, I get you. I know, I know, I know. It's just that you don't like we all had them, right? So, yeah, and there's something in my head about like, what if it was like a group of friends and the killer keeps sending them beeps and they have to go to public pay phones and make phone like they like there's 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 something there yeah there's something i'm, I'm there. sure you could figure it out i'm saying like generically right you're imagining a story actually being written around the concept of that's beepers. what you're not going to refute that it could work right that you could find whatever weird little nonsense but you can't to make drop that. it as cultural zeitgeist because it never really got there yeah, it never really got there, and also it requires just too much context. Yeah, no, you're right. While if you just set the fucking story five years in the future, assuming that there's nothing in the story that prevents you from doing right. that, you just make it a text. Right. Because cell phones for the longest time were fucking unreliable. They really were. And also texting used to be really hard. We used to only have like the 10 buttons, zero through nine. You have to put multiple times, like it's Morse code. It was also, tedious. Also, you had to pay 10 cents every time you sent one. Before everybody found out that when you ping a cell tower, that your your phone just to know what, where to look for the calls coming in. It's the same data. That message travels on that ping. You weren't using more bandwidth. There was no reason to charge for it. And then suddenly the companies couldn't charge for it anymore. The reasoning they tried to sell was that, look, it's got to be the same as sending a letter. There has to be a cost attached. Otherwise, we'll put the post office out of business. Like they were oh, trying yeah, to be fucking altruistic. Oh, yeah, you're fucking concerned about that. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> fucking capitalists. No, they're such assholes. <sighs> oh, but what about the postman? You don't give a shit. <laughs> they really don't. I don't give a fuck about the postman. Anyway. So this is a horror this, show. Like you said, this was a horror show of a book. Yep. It was really cool, though, and they did some really interesting stuff. And even then, like I said, when they're doing stuff where you're like, that's a bad way to do it, we're starting to edge into reasonable mistakes. Yep. Like, if I were stuck at home and I was like, okay, well, I've acquired a cat morph. I'm just going to test it out. Yeah, I'd lock the cats out of my room and just give her a run. I wouldn't bother calling people over. I guess. There are things where I would just... But the so cockroach is pushing it. Where you're the like, cockroach, they should have had a backup. I'm just saying. No more bugs without backups. And they did, later in the book, drop the little, like, 
yeah and we are absolutely not doing anything else with a hive mind like when they're trying to run through the options they're like flies flies are gross can we do something else we're like well i mean we can't do the cockroach again they're too obvious i mean you could maybe do a bee and they're immediately like nope no social insects no bees no hive minds so they learned and that's all i wanted i just wanted them to learn so you know what the kids learned marco's incredibly smart jake is dumb but lucky i'm happy what's the next one the next one the stranger Ooh, interesting and it and 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 the picture is a bear okay it's rachel turning into a bear we're starting to get the uh loop through the narrators too which is going to be interesting yeah so we're going to come back around and like check in with them yeah see what they've thought about what's about what's happening yeah i'm eager for that do we have an axe book yet we don't have an axe book yet no um but there's definitely going to be an axe book i'm assuming yeah okay i'm eager for that one just done my quick double check of what's going on in this book okay this is an interesting one uh and then the one after that is our first uh our first uh megamorph what's the megamorph applegate wrote effectively four series series of books okay there was the animorphs the main line there was the choose your own adventure animorphs she wrote the uh chronicles books which was like the andalite chronicles hork bezier chronicles and the elemist chronicles you don't know about the elemist yet you'll get there which are just full-blown histories not like textbooks but like they're prequels prequels is the word i, was I like that for. that's cool okay yeah so they're fully detached and also if i remember right like the the target age demographic shifts up a little bit. They feel a lot more, still not adult, but more adult than presently. Okay, that's interesting. And then there are the Megamorphs, which are uh, nominally uh, in continuity books. Okay. They are... A story that just sort of fits into the middle of it. Nothing particularly important to the overall plot happens. It's narrated by all of the Animorphs as opposed to, like, we start jumping between perspectives. So it, it, it informs the story without necessarily messing with the narrative. Yeah, there's nowhere that really describes the, the uh, gives a good explanation of the continuity of the books. But basically, like, the Animorphs books are the books. Uh... And then there's the four megamorphs, which are narrated by all of the characters. Right. Okay. Uh, which include the Andalite's gift in the time of the dinosaurs, Elfangor's secret, and back to before. Ooh, Elfangor's secret. That sounds interesting. That's the only one that doesn't have a Wikipedia article for reasons I don't understand. Well, well you know what? We will fill it out audioly. Yep. We will make an audio yeah. Wikipedia entry for it. Completely out of order. Yes. Unless you start letting me summarize things in a coherent way. I will. I will try. You will never. I appreciate it. I get very it. excited. For the purposes of this season, okay. I think we're going to do the first 13 mainline Animorphs books right. just in order. So the next one is Rachel. And the one after that is your first Axe book. Oh, fun. Okay. I'm excited about that. All right. Great. Rachel and then Axe. Thank you for joining us for Podspeak. Animorphs was written by K.A. Applegate. Our show is edited by Aram, and our theme music is composed by Kai Engel. 
For more information about us, ways to support the show, and to hear all of the podcasts we produce, head over to deadghostpro.com. And remember, the controllers are everywhere. Talmor is my home. My family have worked the land for generations. My grand says the island does not belong to us, but we belong to the island. And we must be ready, for a great evil is coming. And death follows with it. Listen and subscribe to the latest season of Undertow, The Harrowing, a Storyglass production presented by Realm, available wherever you get your podcasts. This show was produced and edited by Dead Ghost Productions. Find out more about us and all the shows we make at deadghostpro.com. Deadghostpro.com